0: The Cannabis Conversation A European perspective on the emerging legal cannabis industry Welcome to The Cannabis Conversation with Anuj Desai where we explore the new legal cannabis industry by speaking to the professionals that are trying to shape it. Thanks for joining us again. We've got a great episode coming up. A lot of what is grabbing the headlines about cannabis is the huge investment that's happening in North America and and some of that money is starting to move over to Europe now. So we'll be talking a bit about investment and how the market is shaping up. Enjoy so today we have patrick morton on the show patrick is founder of cannabis invest uk which is an investment advisory firm in london patrick actually hails from canada which is the epicenter of the global cannabis industry but he has set up here because he firmly believes that there's some exciting and lucrative times ahead for cannabis investors in the uk and europe patrick welcome Thanks for having me. This is uh, pretty exciting and congratulations. Thank you. I think this is probably quite an interesting show for a lot of people who are interested in this area. When people think about cannabis, I think they generally think about growing and selling products. But actually, there's a lot more to it, isn't there, in terms of types of businesses?
1: Yeah, I mean, historically, the main or only way people consumed cannabis was the dried flower smoking it. But over the last, I'd say, 10 years, there's been a real revolution in the industry, partly coinciding with the legalization effort. So like in North America, especially, there's so many different states and now the country of Canada that have legalized and brought forward and brought into the light a private industry, a legal private industry developing cannabis products. And uh, so the proliferation of derived cannabis products, extracted oils, um, vapes, shatter, wax, etc., has really expanded not only the types of products that there are, but also the types of consumers that cannabis can appeal to. So yeah, beverages, edibles, vape pens, which are smooth and clean, light, don't taste like anything or smell like anything. Those products are, I think, in many ways for private industry are the most exciting areas
0: of of product development and and research. That's really interesting. I think you highlight a, a couple of good points there. I think a lot of the things you just talked about are more on the fully recreational side and the lifestyle kind of businesses which is probably a few years away for us in Europe, I think. But are those the kind of exciting things that are happening in North America? Well,
1: so this is kind of, for me, the the crux of the whole issue. Like, yeah, yeah, we're a few years behind in, in the UK and in Europe. And I think there's still public education about the risks associated with cannabis. There's some work that we need to do to get people up to speed on what those risks actually are. And part of that process is the medical legalization route where there's strict control on who can get it and for what purposes they can get it. And just like what we've seen in North America over the last 15 years, I'm very confident you'll see a similar thing happen here, which is medical legalization leads to society becoming much more comfortable with cannabis use and the risks associated with it and in in a short amount of time i think you're going to see like people looking at each other being like, okay why wow, why do we even have these restrictions at all so that medical boxing in of access for medical purposes will be opened up pretty soon i think and so with medical products like the a lot of them come in the form of what you would expect like pills and oils drops nasal sprays that kind of thing And uh, those are highly effective. And I think there's going to be a recreational market for those products that appear to be medical as there is in Canada to this day. But over time, getting different delivery methods, like I say, with beverages and edibles being the most obvious i think that'll open up the industry as a whole Uh, it'll have much
0: more mass appeal yeah i think we talked about it on a previous show actually Um, very naturally people tend to assume that cannabis is intrinsically linked with smoking um, and smoking joints but that is very quickly becoming a slightly outdated method particularly because of health concerns i think so um so just take a step back i think in terms of we're looking from an investment perspective. The types of businesses that are, are operating, and again, we'll probably look to North America to see where a more developed market goes. You just talked about the different methods of consumption, but there are obviously lots of businesses that need to operate in order to support the direct to consumer things. So, the infrastructure. I. I had been reading about companies that do lab testing and stuff like that. What do you think about those sort of companies in terms of investment opportunities?
1: Right, as you say, my my main focus is investment, professional investment in the sector, and definitely there's been a bit of a rush to buy into companies that are involved in cultivation. Like that's the most obvious first stop, but there's a couple of reasons to think about ancillary businesses, partly because they tend to have great margins. So if you're a company that provides services to the cannabis industry, it's a less obvious place to be. And they tend to have sustainable, consistent, high margins. And also, they're less likely to be tripping up on laws, regulations, and other restrictions that are still in place globally because cannabis is still viewed as a drug. So... For instance, in the UK, there's a lot of concern about it's technically illegal to invest in recreational cannabis companies because recreational cannabis is illegal in the UK and you'd be violating the Proceeds of Crime Act by profiting, even if you're investing in a legal jurisdiction like in North America. But if you own shares in a company that provides uh, lighting for cannabis facilities or security ...for those facilities or distribution, logistics, trucking, etc. Those businesses have nothing to do with cannabis per se, but they're still highly leveraged to this industry and they will continue to succeed as the cannabis industry grows. So looking at those types of businesses, I think makes a lot of sense. You know, one of the big themes sort of globally in cannabis is, is branded products. Like everybody sees the long-term way this thing's going to play out with, okay, over time, things will get legalized and public acceptance, etc. And then it'll become a fight for like how, who occupies the space in people's minds and who's got the most brand recognition. So people who have the ability to develop brands, so guys who have experience in, in marketing and distribution and consumer goods, those types of businesses are highly important for the next 10 years of this industry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to answer your question, um, massively think that ancillary industries are, are going to be key going forward. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Like in Canada, for instance, about seven years ago, there were virtually no publicly listed companies. Now there's over 250 starting to look like a very crowded market. But the money that's been raised, a large portion of that has gone to fund cultivation facilities indoor outdoor greenhouse whatever that are focused on growing cannabis but nowadays if you're a company that wants to go public in Canada and your business is, we're going to raise 20 million dollars because we have this nice piece of land at in Abbotsford BC and we want to start planting cannabis no, no investor is going to back that anymore because the, the theme has moved on like that Market is saturated, and you need to have you need to come at it with a with a new angle. And so, to your point, like
0: all those other segments are the place to be. Yeah, it's interesting. They're growing almost they grow a growing, but saturated already, which kind of shows you where we are in terms of the global. Well, this is the thing. I mean, there. So <laughs> there's two ways to me to look at this industry. Like, let's use canopy growth as an example. So canopy growth, just to explain, are the Largest cannabis company in the world, floated on the Toronto Stock Exchange.
1: And uh, as well as the New York Stock Exchange. And I think they were the first ever public company in the US on the New York Stock Exchange. So that's, I think, about a $30 billion Canadian market cap. So 18 billion quid, something like that. Wow. And they've got, uh, I believe, $100 million in sales this year. (laughs) So... What are 50, 60 billion, 50, 60 million quid in sales and at 18 billion quid valuation. So the, the fundamental valuation of that company is just so outrageous and it's, and that's because they're selling in a very small portion of the global market recreational products in Canada, medical products in Canada, and then medical products in a few other areas where it's legal, Germany, Australia, and a few others. So on one hand, looking at their business today – the thing looks like a massive short. But on the other hand, you think about where the global market can be. Like Canada is a tiny, tiny fraction of what the eventual global demand will be. And I tend to be more on the optimistic side of this argument. You know, I, I kind of think the actual end demand of the global cannabis industry is not a 100 billion like some people say it will be. I think it's more like a trillion because you're going to have cannabis products for recreational purposes for the, in their own Right. So you're going to to take over the illegal market, the black market. You're going to get those guys out and make it legal. You're also going to have medical innovation, cannabis products that are used to treat all the different things we already know about. But the work will get done and the demand will grow. Then you're going to cannibalize some of the alcohol market, some of the tobacco market. And the wellness market. And the wellness market, which is $250 billion a year. And the nutraceutical market, which is a very shady industry. plagued with false claims and false advertising, whereas cannabis products actually do what they say they're supposed to do. So I think it's a trillion dollar market, not a hundred billion. And with that in mind, canopy growth with its market cap as it is, I think it's got a long way to go. I think it could be 10 times bigger than it is now. (laughs) So like I say, there's a little bit of pie in the sky there. But for the people who are focusing on that that real long term, I think um, I think there's a lot of upside. Even though, as I say, like the Canadian cultivation market is saturated, it's like okay, actually, the funded capacity of, of cultivation in Canada is probably twice as big as the as the domestic demand for cannabis. So they're growing twice as much as they'll ever be able to sell in in, in Canada. But the whole point is like. You're exporting to global markets. You become a world leader, and your products are known for their quality. And you distribute from Canada. So, long-winded way of saying, well, in a in a little microclimate in Canada, cultivation looks pretty saturated. But looking at the global
0: market, I, th- I still think there's so much room to grow. Hmm. Oh, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, probably the more tropical kind of equator type right. and lower cost right. areas are, are, are going to be more fruitful at, at some point. And they're already starting to kind of, people are looking quite seriously at South America and parts of Africa. But yeah, for the moment, Canada is is the, is the global leader, certainly right. in terms of capital and expertise. I think.
1: And I, I'm i sort of curious to see how it will play out. The real argument in that, in that area is, okay, low cost. By, by a large margin, you know, Southern Africa and South America, the grow ops that are starting up there are talking about a cost of production of 10 or 20 cents per gram of dried cannabis flower. And that compares to North America where it's more like a dollar per gram. So in some cases, you know, 90% cheaper. To grow in those sub-Saharan or tropical areas. But the proponents on the other side will say, oh, actually, but our, our facilities are much higher quality. They're much more consistent, safer. You know, we're going to have really tight controls on the pesticides. It's going to be fully organic. There's, We're going to make sure that there's no mold and other toxic compounds in our product. So, over time, they're going to stake their claim on the quality premium price and the market.
0: And I, and I think there's room for everyone. Yeah, there's trade-offs in yeah. there, aren't there? Mm-hmm. That natural outdoors, but less control or tightly controlled, right. but more expensive to produce. Right. And there's probably room for both. And and like, in the,
1: I don't know, the wine industry, I guess, is an analogy, right? Like, there's a <laughs> huge market for, you know, high volume, low cost wines but then there's a market for the high-end stuff as well and in that market perception and reality are pretty different you know when you do these blind taste tests of super expensive wines and super cheap wines like even the high-end sommeliers have trouble telling the difference but with this cannabis thing there there really is science here it's like a medically verifiable quality difference um, in terms of how consistent your product is, what are the contaminants, etc. So I do think that like I say, I think it'll work, but it is a battle right now. Like because the the low cost guys are going to be pushing hard to get market share and then the high cost guys are going to be pushing hard to maintain their their price premium. Mm-hmm.
0: So there will there will be a battle. yeah, um, which is actually good for consumers, right? Yeah. Like the net is positive. Yeah. Thank you for highlighting that difference and it's really good to kind of understand a lot of focus goes on cultivation but actually to take it back to one of the things you earlier said it's a bit like the, the Californian gold rush where actually the real people that made money were the people who were selling right. picks and shovels and not necessarily the people who were right. trying to mine for gold. And in the same way the ancillary businesses that service cannabis Right. Growers, etc., are probably the ones that are, are going to survive, or not survive, but they may have a, a higher margin, easier time of it. Yeah, yeah and and um, the way I think of this,
1: so I came out of the mining industry for about fifteen years before I came into cannabis, and we use that analogy a lot. But the time that I was working in the mining sector coincided with the China, what it's called as. The Chinese super cycle for commodity demand. China massively industrialized starting in the kind of late 80s and their demand for metals exploded from, call it a tenth of U.S., for instance. Like a tenth of demand relative to the U.S. demand for copper, steel, zinc, nickel, etc. 50 years ago. And now they're 10 times bigger than the U.S., So they've grown by a factor of 100 or something like that. And that environment is a little bit different than the 1849 gold rush in San Francisco because the tide is rising so quickly, it floats all boats So if you're in any business involved in mining from 1995 to 2012, it was a good time. In general, like those are broad strokes because like the price of copper, for instance, went from 60 cents a pound to $4 a pound. So if you're involved in anything related to copper, your margins have exploded. So with cannabis, I kind of view it kind of more like that Chinese super cycle. As opposed to just like, oh, there's been a discovery in this little corner of the world and there's a rush to that thing. This is global. It's transformational. And from an investment standpoint, it's like, I think there's ways to be successful in all of those verticals. You do have to do your due diligence and all that stuff. And and like I say, understand the dynamics of cultivation versus extraction or downstream, etc., but if you do it properly, I don't want to make this only about money, but there's so much money to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the picks and shovels thing for sure is, I think, a very valid strategy. And the analogy does definitely apply. But if you're
0: also searching for gold, it's going to go well. <laughs> I think. Well, thank you for updating my analogy. I think the Chinese supercycle is a bit of a... A more recent one, which is good. And I also like your uh, quote, the tide is rising and it floats all boats. Then that might go on my social. Which is good. Cool, thank you. So let's just take this back a bit. Looking at the world's kind of investment scene, how would you characterize the differences or the similarities and then the differences between what's happening in Europe vis-à-vis what's happening in North America and anywhere else that's relevant in the world? Well, Europe is...
1: A focal point in a big way for investment right now. Because North America, that, that ship has already sailed a little bit, right? Like the markets have already liberalized. There's already been an establishment of the private industry there. Whereas Europe, you know, call it three to five years behind. So the private industry here hasn't really taken hold. We've got only a couple tiny, scrappy, publicly listed companies in, in London none of them are anywhere near the scale of the north american guys but europe is the next major region to liberalize like all countries have done or are in the process of rewriting their legislation for medical access and like i say looking at the north american precedent it's it's to me it's the inflection point where medical becomes recreational that's when you get the explosion in demand and in private industry. And and Europe is in different stages from country to country, but that's roughly where we are. So you've got medical access in most of the major countries with some problems, some bureaucratic problems. Everybody knows about what's happened in the UK and they're a bit disappointed by it. But the progress is happening and it's just, it doesn't take much for the voting population. Everybody hears these stats as well. Like we're hovering in the UK right around that 50% mark in polling numbers for support for legalization recreational. It's at 80% for medical. So that that's already sorted. Like it's put to bed now. But once you get that significantly over 50% for recreational legalization, that's when the big industry gets excited. I mm. think you know there already is companies like Canopy Growth and all of their competitors have set up uh, subsidiaries in the UK to supply medical cannabis here, and you know publicly they're focused solely on medical. But you know in the in like I say in markets where it's gone from medical to rec, medical always has a place, but rec tends to be multiple times bigger. Mm. Partly for obvious reasons, like, you know, there's more people having a pint on uh, Friday night than there are having a shot of penicillin <laughs> or whatever. So, so, so Europe, I think, is like, it really is now is the time to be involved here. The UK in and of itself is a fantastic market. It's twice as big as Canada and it's five years behind. And it's like, you know, it's, a, it's not rocket science. And then when you include the whole European area... EU countries plus the nearby European like countries, there's, you know, it's it's 20 times bigger than Canada and culturally fairly similar. There's some nuances, but I think in the, in the grand scheme, the demand per capita, I think, will be similar to what you see in Canada. So now, now is the time. And, and like I say, I think the focus at the moment is on medical, but like call it in the next 18 months or 36 months, you're going to see that push for recreational mm. c- coming hard. And here we are in London. It's like the biggest, best city in the, not the biggest city, the best city in the world for many reasons, culturally finance, etc. It's such an obvious place that we, we should have a leading role and in, in the liberalization of, of cannabis, attitudes towards cannabis. So we got to play a bit of catch up, but I, I think it's going to accelerate from here.
0: Yeah. It's very positive prognosis actually for What's happening in the UK and in particular London, you and I have both been to first Wednesdays, the the networking event, and you can see that it's grown in sort of size and sophistication, which kind of is a very good reflection on, on how things are moving, I think. Okay, so we've talked a bit about the types of businesses to invest in in a general kind of market overview. At the moment, what are the, who are the types of people that are actually investing or companies or right. banks or whatever? Yeah, I mean, so
1: the, the nature of cannabis investors tends to be smaller firms and private individuals, high net worth investors and family offices who are able to move more nimbly and are less exposed to regulatory risks than big-time global asset managers. So for the most part, you don't see BlackRock, Fidelity, Investec, Standard Life, etc. taking big stakes in these companies yet. And I think that's a major positive catalyst in the coming years. So as all these laws change and everything gets legalized, not only do you have more access to demand on the customer side, but the big time investors will come flooding in because they'll have to. Like the, their mandates will require if you're a healthcare portfolio manager and you're not exposed to cannabis, you're you're massively missing out on a major segment. And the same will go for consumer goods, FMCG, PMs, and that kind of thing. So. They're not involved by and large at this stage, and uh, they've missed out on you know 100 billion dollars of wealth creation so far. But the scale of their assets is in the trillions, so they're not even that bothered that they've missed out on it. Like they can, they'll come in for the next 500 billion of wealth creation. Um, so yeah, so the investors who are doing it are the smart people who are aware of trends and can move quickly. And yeah, I mean, in North America last year, there's something like $10 billion of capital raised, maybe $15 billion, which is a massive number. A significant chunk of that came from two deals that were corporate related, you know, an alcohol company and a tobacco company that took massive stakes. But nonetheless, that still leaves 3 to $7 billion uh, raised from private investors in North America. The similar number in in, in Europe, is like five hundred million euros, something mm. like that, like a tiny fraction relative to North America. So unlocking the capital here, I mean, even just in London, getting investor, professional investors here more engaged and writing checks and taking stakes in these companies is is going to be a, a really important catalyst for the sector. But yeah, so it the the investors who are doing it are the smaller, more private, more nimble mm-hmm. uh,
0: groups. And I expect that will change in the medium term. Cool. Okay. Well, that's good to to understand how the current landscape in terms of investors is working. From your own personal perspective, and obviously everyone would be dying for you to give them some tips, but I know you can't. What types of businesses are you particularly excited about in this space? So I'm most excited about recreational and
1: I'm excited about brands and in many ways, Going down that route is maybe not advisable. I think, you know, learning a little bit about branded products, marketing, advertising, and how difficult it is to establish oneself in that arena. I think there definitely are some risks there, but the prize is so big if you establish a dominant market share as the leading recreational vape brand for instance in the UK or in Europe etc uh, you know it's it's such a big opportunity and then you combine that with the fact that most brands in Europe so far are, are a little bit amateurish uh, and that's no disrespect to them I think there's some fantastic companies but it's been a lack of access to capital so far so it's companies that are bootstrapping just funding it themselves and starting from nothing so the level of sophistication isn't quite up to where it needs to be to really go global in Europe but therein lies the opportunity so it's like looking for the right companies and the right teams who have an authentic story who have a personal reason to be in this business not just about the money but they want to make a product that helps people and you know they have a, a personal history with cannabis etc that's the that's the segment that I'm most focused on so i would say like we're thinking a little bit longer term and we're kind of we're kind of navigating the more treacherous waters to go for that bigger prize but that being said there is a green rush as they say for, for cultivation in europe right now I, I do think there's a great rationale there notwithstanding what we're saying about picks and shovels and that kind of thing if you have the right team the right experienced group that has knowledge of cultivation especially if they have capital in Europe there's such a great opportunity there and it just so happens that I've I've looked at that sector and I've chosen not to go down that route but I do think the winners there will will have a fantastic outcome and then everything in between like I say it is a rising it is a rising tide and you know medical distribution is a is a big area of focus these days the problem is that it's being dominated by large established companies. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to just get exposure to UK-based medical cannabis distribution. There are a couple of companies, but the the dominant players look like they might be foreign companies. So if you buy shares in those, that gets influenced by all the other factors in the global market. Owning shares in Canopy Growth, not just uh, medical cannabis in the UK. So there it's not so easy to differentiate and get focused exposure to certain subsectors, like I say, in, in Europe. But yeah, so that, you know, that's what the, the rec branded thing is kind of the, the thing that I'm most okay. excited about. But like I say, it's kind of like, I think the theme is find people who are doing it for the right reasons, whatever the businesses it is that they're into and who are committed for the long term. And I think that's like the winning formula, whatever yeah. the product it is that they're
0: doing. One of the areas that I'm quite interested in was is around the biotech stuff. I'm not a scientist, but some of the ways that... And there's a lot of stuff coming out of Israel, I think. Again, when you talk about team, they're backed up by some really kind of notable scientists who've been studying this for a long time. And there was one when you talked about drinks at the beginning. So just, just for a, the listeners' benefit, cannabis is not... Water soluble. So that's why it, if you eat it, it takes quite a long time to sort of get into your system because it needs to go into your stomach and gets broken down, which is why currently beverages aren't that great an experience. But there was a couple of companies that are working on ways to make cannabis water soluble, and that could be a game changer in terms of the drinks industry, I think. So
1: Yes. And uh, there's two main technologies on the water soluble front, which various companies are quite optimistic about. And those types of businesses, I think part of the problem is that technologies aren't cannabis specific. They exist in other sectors and are being transferred to cannabis and adapted to cannabis. So my only concern about Water soluble tech is that their patentability might not be as great as you would hope. So for those companies who are able to patent whatever their process is and then license that out or get some protection of their market share, I think there's a great, uh, a great opportunity for me personally. I haven't been able to identify like as a non scientist, I haven't been able to identify that. Like, and I've spoken to 10 of these companies. I've Understanding exactly why they're different and why they're going to be able to protect their market share. Mm. Um, I haven't quite gotten there. But to your point, the water-soluble products that I've had, personally, don't quite do what they say they're going to do quite yet. Yeah. And the people who do crack that code, uh, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Because that un- unlocks, like I say, the mass market. Uh, which, right now, their edibles and beverages have that reputation.
0: And that keeps people... Uh, like shying away from it Mm -hmm. so so lots to play for there cool okay so uh, we're getting towards the end now just maybe talk a bit about your personal story because i'm always really interested in how people come from more traditional backgrounds into cannabis what what was your story well
1: we I, i came i came at it not from the really an amazing background but the whole thing was i was in finance i was doing stock market stuff for banks i've been in london for about eight years was just following the news in Canada. Didn't know much about cannabis prior to legalization, but 2012, 13, 14, Canada was making all these legal changes and then the industry exploded. And I sort of realized a couple years late that the same thing will happen here. Um, So I quit my job in 2017, started hearing these stories about like people, not only can cannabis treat symptoms of various health problems, but there's some anecdotal evidence that it can actually cure certain problems, so that really got me excited when I started kind of hearing those stories. And then when I combined it with like, okay, the investment opportunity, that's really what what like made me made me made the light switch on. And that was about two and a half three years ago. So I quit my job, gave up the salary, gave up this you know the security and all that stuff. So I can't stress enough. Highly highly recommend it for all people who are interested or but concerned about the same issues like you know your financial security and how are you going to pay the bills etc the amount of uh, personal satisfaction and engagement that you get from doing something doesn't have to be cannabis so like but like whatever you're into highly highly recommend it and i think over time it'll prove to be more financially lucrative than being a cog in a in a corporate machine Mm -hmm. like many of us are We'll see if it works out. Uh, I might go, <laughs> I might go belly up in the next couple of years and then I'll be knocking
0: back on the door of the big banks, but we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully that hopefully doesn't not. I'm sure you, I'm sure you, <laughs> I'm sure you won't. I'm sure you won't. And, um, just to finish my, my traditional final question, what did your parents say when you told them that you were going to be working in cannabis? Well, so my dad is
1: a business lawyer in Canada and we're, f- he's fairly conservative. I was taught that cannabis is very dangerous growing up, and it kills brain cells and all this stuff. So the process of getting him on board took a bit of time, but it coincided with all this news flow in Canada. So he was seeing it in the papers every day. Oh, cannabis can treat this chronic pain, anxiety, inflammation, you know, insomnia, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Not to mention all these other health problems, including cancers. And so my mom actually died of cancer ten years ago. No access to any cannabis products that could have, I'm sure, at least lessened the, the symptoms, if not actually helped with the, the tumors. But with that background, just having those like, hey, dad, I'm thinking about this industry. I've been reading about it. It turns out that the facts are different than what we were taught. And then like, he's involved in the stock market as well. And he was seeing this, this like enormous explosion of wealth happening uh, on the Canadian stock exchanges so it wasn't something that I just rocked up and said hey guess what I quit my job and now I'm going to be a pot dealer uh, <laughs> in the in UK." it was that process of having the discussion and thinking it through like thinking out loud with him and getting his input so that's how it worked for me we're conservative from a Canadian family standpoint is not the same as from every other culture so I don't I don't know if it's those discussions
0: might be different depending on what the family that you're from. <laughs> I think having the backdrop of what's been happen, uh, happening on a legislative point of view in Canada probably helps a bit, but um, absolutely. But it's good to understand that. Cool. Well, thank you, Patrick. It's been really very interesting. And I hope listeners learn a bit about the investment landscape across
1: the world. And- Appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, feel free to contact me for any questions and, you know, love to. I'm definitely going to be following your your podcast here. I've listened to the first one of the first couple, and uh, it's a great product. And I think like getting the message out is so important here in Europe. This is indispensable to keep to keep doing this to get the audiences engaged and all that. So thank you for for doing it and including me. Appreciate it. Thank you
0: very much. I appreciate it. Cool. Take care. Cheers. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Shame we didn't get any um, stock tips, but uh, I think Patrick can get in a bit of trouble for that. But hopefully it was a good high-level view of the European and North American investment landscape and the types of businesses that Patrick thinks will do well in the future. It's great to see how positive Patrick is on just how big this market could be, which adds to a lot of the excitement. So next show, we've got a really interesting one with a fantastic woman called Dr. Danny Gordon. She is at the center of doctor education on cannabis and has been to Downing Street with various bits of research. And she's going to be talking about two very important topics. Uh, we decided to split the show into two parts because it's it they're quite distinct, the two areas. But the first one is about psychosis, which I think is, to most detractors of cannabis, the major issue that they have. So it'd be good to understand what the truth is there and what's scaremongering. And then secondly, we're going to be talking about cannabis in the NHS. So despite being legalised for medical prescriptions in November, very few people have had the opportunity to get cannabis prescribed on the NHS. And so we'll be talking about the logistical hurdles that are in the way of that and um, how we might overcome that. As always, if you enjoy the show, I'd be really grateful if you could leave a review. Uh, It's particularly important this week if you can, because if I get enough good reviews, hopefully I'll get listed as new and noteworthy in iTunes. So I'm very, very grateful in advance for your help in that area. Cool. Have a great week and uh, catch you on the next episode. Cheers.